There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Whether you're listening on our iTunes account via podcast or whether you're watching us on uh, YouTube right now or later if you follow our YouTube channel, welcome to another episode of The Standard is the Standard. As I said, Jeff Harbin, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Lance. You won't see Lance's face if you're watching on YouTube. Well, you will see his face. That's his face. That's not a, that's not like a cardboard cutout or something. But you just won't see a many moving pieces. But Lance, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing fantastic. And because I've never shown, uh, I've never shown my face recording the show, I'm going to keep it like this. Sort of like the MC Mad Villain. If you guys are familiar with Mad Lib, Mad Villain, used to be in KMD back in the day. Peach Fuzz, he always walks around with a mask and never shows his face. Well, I'm never going to show my face live <laughs> since I've showed my face. But before we get into the program, I do want to send my thoughts and prayers to people who have lost their lives in the Napa, Sonoma area. I live probably about 15 miles from the wildfires that are currently going on. There's been a lot of people who have lost their houses, lost their lives, and are really in a bad way. So I want to dedicate this program to everybody in Northern California who's been affected by the Napa, Sonoma wildfires because it's pretty tough up here. And even in my area right now, the air quality is really bad. It's been pretty terrible since the fires have started. It's been really smoky. It really smells like fire. A lot of the youth activities and events in the area have been canceled for the last several days. And we have advisories in this area for everyone to stay inside, to uh, keep their windows closed, not turn on air condition, run their vents in their bathrooms to not get the smell of smoke and fire in the homes. And so it's actually probably only about 10 miles from me you know, a couple of exits up on 80 East. And so, you know, we're praying that it doesn't come our direction. We're praying that they can get the fires contained because right now there's zero containment. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and it's a pleasure to be able to watch the NFL and have this as a distraction. But, Jeff, as always, what do we do when we start the program? We talk about injuries and just some general news events before we tackle and give our thoughts about the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, if you could call that a game. Yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're talking about practice. We ain't talking about practice, practice participate. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about practice. So uh, let's go with the Wednesday, October 11th practice report. Regardless, it depends on when you're listening to this, uh, whether you're watching on a podcast, whatnot. So the Pittsburgh Steelers injury report was rather interesting. Uh, there was only one player of note that was not a participant last week that um 
we really wanted to keep an eye on, or I really wanted to keep an eye on as I'm an injury tip guy. And that was Marcus Gilbert, the right tackle. He's missed the last two and a half games, technically, uh, going back to the Minnesota uh, victory. He's when he hurt his hamstring. He was a full participant. Before fans get really excited, though, they have to remember he's been a full participant the last two weeks on Wednesday and only to be downgraded throughout the rest of the week. And then, obviously, he uh, ends up not playing on game day. So it's a good step. It's a good sign that he's at least pl- practicing. But it, Thursday is going to be big. If he can be a full participant again on Thursday, that's a good That's a good sign. We're moving in the right direction. If he's downgraded again, don't expect to see him in week six, week six against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, then you have all these new injuries. Uh, Ryan Chase here is limited with a quadricep. I don't know if that's a contusion, which is a fancy word for a bruise, or if he has a strained quadricep. Nonetheless, it's not a. I don't think it's a major injury. I don't. I would doubt that he's on the injury report for the rest of the week, except for being a full participant. Marquise Pouncey was out with a chest. Ramon Foster with a back. My guess is they've got veteran days off, but. Everyone was talking about it, Lance. Ben Roethlisberger practiced. Everyone was up in arms because Roethlisberger doesn't practice on Wednesdays, and he hasn't been playing well, and why isn't he practicing well? He was back on the practice field on Wednesday. So were all the others like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, who somehow never gets a Veterans Day off, yet he is fine. But that's the Steelers injury report. That's it. They're a pretty healthy team, knock on wood. I just did. And so they're looking good for the upcoming game. The Kansas City Chiefs, on the other hand, um, they had practice. This was all written on the website behind the steelcurtain.com. The wide receiver, Chris Conley, tore his Achilles last week against Houston. He's done for the year. Uh, and that's a they, they've had a couple really big losses. Um, but the other key, and they have some secondary players, not this defensive secondary, but players that aren't necessarily starters that missed. But the two names that were the biggest names that did not practice today, linebacker Justin Houston with calf. He had calf spasms against the Houston Texans last week. He was able to come back, um, but he did not participate. I think they're just taking it easy for him, um, but I think he'll eventually practice probably Thursday and Friday and be ready to go. The, the key injury for me is Travis Kelsey, who has a concussion, suffered in week five, same Texans game. He did not practice. He's in the protocol. That's going to be interesting to see because Travis Kelsey gives the the Kansas City Chiefs a dynamic that if he's not in the lineup, that they definitely are not as dangerous. They're still dangerous, but they're not as dangerous without him. Limited participant defensive tackle Benny Logan was limited, and full participation was D. Ford, the linebacker. If for some reason Houston can't go, D. Ford being back would help cushion that blow so there's your wednesday injury report lance uh full of fun stuff and nuggets of information nonetheless um i like the steelers where they are from an injury standpoint but i like the end that like where they were from an injury standpoint last week and look what happened hi it's jamie progressive's employee of the month two months in a row leave a message at the Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, the injury that's biggest on the Kansas City side is, is definitely that Travis Kelsey injury. His ability to attack you vertically in the seams 
And just because he's the best tight end in football right now, no disrespect to Gronk, but Kelsey is a fantastic player. They've done a pretty good job against Kelsey, but the way they're playing now with the addition of Hunt as well as Tariq Hill and Kelsey and the way Alex Smith is playing, it's a big edge to the Steelers to go up against that offense without Kelsey. The other news I wanted to jump into before we talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars is congratulations to San Antonio Holmes, who retired this week as a Pittsburgh Steeler. San Antonio Holmes, Super Bowl MVP, was a fantastic player for the Steelers. What are some of your thoughts when you think about San Antonio Holmes, the football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, you know, I mean, for me, San Antonio Holmes, everyone's going to remember the Super Bowl catch. But this guy, in my opinion, was always a Ravens killer. Think back to those those games where when a play needed to be made, he was the one that made it. I, I remember the, I want to say it was a Sunday night game. I'm pretty sure the Steelers wore their throwbacks with the gold helmets. Um, play was breaking down. Roethlisberger rolls out, throws back across his body over the middle. Uh, Holmes catches it, bounces off of Ed Reed, takes it in for a touchdown, ends up being the game-winning score. We all remember that game in, at M&T Bank Stadium where, uh, again, Roethlisberger scrambling, throws to Holmes. He catches the football, but they're not sure if the ball crossed the plane that game. It was always Holmes that made the big play against the Baltimore Ravens, and I loved him for that because I can't stand the Ravens. I live in Maryland. Um, I have to hear about that all the time. He just came up big in big in big games. I think about the San Diego Chargers playoff game in the snow when he uh, returned the punt for a touchdown. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was a big-time, big-game player. Um, I, I, he wasn't the most consistent player. He wasn't the biggest team player. I feel like it, when you listen to his uh, press conference at, at the Steelers facility yesterday, he seems like he's matured a lot. Uh, he only played nine years in the league. I didn't realize that. I thought he bounced around a little bit more after the he left the Steelers. I know he went to the Jets, finished up with the Bears. Um, he had a pretty good career. Uh, I, I think it's strange Absolutely. that he waited so long. He, I think he, I think it's a little Absolutely. strange that he waited so long to come back to Pittsburgh and say he's going to retire as a Steeler. But um, the Steeler fans will always have uh, they'll always have a place in in their memory with it, that Super Bowl catch is in my opinion, one of the greatest Super Bowl catches of all time. Um, not the greatest Super Bowl play. I think that belongs to number 92, James Harrison. But what about you, Lance? Where would you go when you think of uh, San Antonio Holmes? I think you hit the nail on the head. Here's the thing about that Super Bowl catch. He dropped the first one. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing about it. He dropped the first one, and he caught the second one, and they ran the same play on, a, on the opposite side of the field, and he comes back. And he Timmy toe taps the sidelines and makes that catch. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with Tone. He was a big time player who made big plays in big spots. Yeah, you know, and, he 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 always had the knack for being that guy to make the play when they needed the play to happen. And he had a real good relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. It was almost symbiotic how they could connect with each other, particularly in the scramble drill and the stuff they used to do. It's not as good as been an A-B, that combination, but it was a damn good combination, and he played excellent football for the Steelers, so it's nice to see, you know, San Antonio come back to Pittsburgh and be retired in the black and gold, so that's great when, when, when the legends and those guys come back and the organization does show appreciation to them. You have anything else you want to say about San Antonio? 
Yeah, a couple things. First, the catch. He actually talked about that in his press conference yesterday and how when they went back into the huddle, the first catch, if you watch the footage, the first down play from the seven-yard line in Super Bowl forty-three, um, it was an easier catch. <laughs> he didn't have nearly the coverage on him. It was a it was an easier catch. It was it was above his head. Um, but he it went just right through his hands. I mean, it was you you know he felt bad, but he talked about how he went to the huddle and it was Heath Miller that kind of gave him a tap and said he's going to come right back to you, so get ready. And he thought to himself, yeah, right. But th- that's kind of what who Roethlisberger is, and he did. He went right back to him. Um, I don't think it was as designed as the first play was, but second down, it was the touchdown. I posted an article that I wrote last year that some Arizona Cardinal fans still don't believe that he got two feet down dis- despite <laughs> the video and photographic evidence. Uh, they-, they still hold a grudge over that, but – um, hey, what are you going to do? That's sour grapes. But here's my uh, my last question for you uh, with about Santonio Holmes before we move on. Now that the Steelers have this, what do they call it? It's not the Ring of Honor. It's uh, the is it the Hall of Honor? I don't know. It, it, they have their own type of Hall of Fame. We'll call it that. And they had like 26 or 27 players put into it at the beat before the season started. And this was an Art Rooney thing. Dan Rooney wanted nothing to do with it. He said it was too much like the Cowboys, but since he's passed, his son's taken over, and he decided he wanted to do it. Um, do you think Santonio Holm, he's not a Hall of Famer, but do you think he belongs in the Steelers' little ring of honor, or do you think that even that's too much? Uh, no. No. Uh-uh. No. No, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about. When I'm thinking of wide receivers for the Steelers, it's absolutely Lennon Stallworth. We know that. They're Hall of Famers. They'll be there. It's going to be Heinz Ward because Heinz Ward with 1,000 catches and the two Super Bowls will be in the Hall of Fame. And it's going to be Antonio Brown. Those are going to be the four wide receivers. that are the best wide receivers in Pittsburgh Steelers history. And yeah. those will be the four guys that will go. I think he'll be – I don't know. I just don't think so. Um, He was a very good player, but I don't think so. You kind of teased it, Jeff, and and I want to talk about this Jaguar game, but but I want to talk about this briefly. And you you, you said something, two things, when you were talking about Burger. Heath Miller's comment that he's that type of guy and that he'll come back to you. And you talked about the scramble drill. We talked about the scrambling and just how effective Ben Roethlisberger was in scrambling and making big plays in the red zone against Baltimore. Now, first of all, we came out with a program list a couple weeks ago titled, Is Big Ben Still the Guy? And this is why I say all of you guys, you have to make this show a list. We talked about this several weeks ago before the national talking head guys started going hyperbole, hyperbole, I'm just joking, hyperbole, (laughs) about the whole issue. And just what type of guy is Ben Roethlisberger? Now, you know I'm hard on Ben. I think Ben is a me guy. I think Ben is a guy that figures out how to put the attention squarely on him. I thought his comments about A.B. kicking the water cooler and bringing it back up on a Thursday were uncalled for. It made the team talk about it the entire week. And he just has the a magical way about becoming a distraction. He's the type of guy you go out to a club with, and it never fails. You get into a fight. 
and you never want to go out with that guy because he figures out some way to get in the fight. Ben Roethlisberger figures out some way to always put the attention on himself, i.e. the comments after the Jaguar game about, I guess I don't have it anymore. That is a weird way to lead, in my opinion. I want to get your perspective on that. And the other thing about the scrambling and the whole thing about is Big Ben still the guy, and I'm firmly a believer that he's no longer the guy. He's no longer the guy that you can build an offense around. And I think the Steelers have become too enamored with the passing game as well as the talent, the wide receiver position. I think he is at the point where he needs to play like his idol, number seven, in Denver when that offense was supported by Terrell Davis in the running game. But when Ben can't scramble anymore effectively and make those plays out of the pocket that made him special, especially his ability to scramble to his right and throw the deep ball with accuracy, he becomes a different guy. He's no longer that elite guy because that elite piece of his game is no longer part of his arsenal. When you added that piece to his arsenal at 6'5", 6'6", with that ability to be elusive, keep his head downfield, and kill people late in the down, that made him a top five special guy. Without that ability, he's just a guy. More squarely, a guy that needs help. What's your thoughts, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I, I hear you. And, and I, I, you can't, when you look at his body of work in 2017, disagree with what you're saying. When you talk about scrambling, when you talk about his ability to extend the play, I think he still has that ability. He doesn't have the speed maybe per se. He's never fast, but, um, maybe he doesn't have the speed that he had when he was younger, but I think that the Steelers and this came down from Art Rooney, the second, uh, when he took over was, he doesn't want that anymore. He wanted Roethlisberger safe. He wanted him in the pocket. They invested heavily in the offensive line. And Ben Roethlisberger has thrived under that type of offense. He, he's done it basically since 2014. Um, I think that he could still do himself a favor or two by ducking out early. But, you know, when he was doing that regularly, people, not necessarily you and I, um, we weren't necessarily calling for him to stop, but there were a lot of people that were, you know, Oh, he needs to stay in the pocket. He's going to get hurt. Yada, yada, yada. You know, all the, the narratives that never died when he was doing that on a regular basis. But I, I think that Roethlisberger still has it. Do I think he is the guy? I mean, what does the guy mean? If the guy means that he's the guy that's going to have to take them to the Super Bowl, then he's still the guy. They're not going to go to Landry Jones or anyone else, but I think that he is still capable. But like you said, they need to tailor their system around what he is going to be best at right now in this in his at this stage of his career. Um, maybe the deep ball. He still has the arm. Okay, I, I'm I'm sorry. I, I saw go back to the Minnesota Vikings game in week two. Uh, there's a play where a guy's right in his face, getting ready to hit him, and he just barely steps into the throw and still throws it 50 plus yards on the fly. Um, I think it drew a pass interference call for Martavis Bryant. He still has the arm. That's not the issue. Uh, his consistency and his accuracy with his throws have been an issue. Uh, his pre-snap reads have been an issue. Um, and I think that ultimately, due to some personnel changes too, 
they've really limited his options. Um, I'm gonna. There's gonna be an article that's running tomorrow um, for the other website that I wrote today. I looked at the snap counts because everyone's talking about Eli Rogers. He's going to be back this week because the Steelers, they think they're being very suave and secret, but they're, you can read them so easily. People start talking about these players more and more and more, and next thing you know, there they is. Uh, when they said about Juju Smith-Schuster, all they talked about was, oh, this, this rookie, he's so good, he's so good. What happens? Believe it or not, the last two weeks, Juju Smith-Schuster has, has played more snaps than Martavis Bryant. Not sure if you knew that, but that's true. Um that's they're, they're very predictable with how they utilize their, their personnel. So everyone's talking about Eli Rogers. You see, they took Eli Rogers off the field the last two weeks. The first week was because he muffed the punt against the bears. I guess Mike Tomlin was teaching him a lesson. Um, and then the last week was just a coach's decision to sit him down. So they started Justin Hunter um, in the first week. So week three, and I'm sorry to bore you with these stats, but I just have them on the top of my head um, in, in week three, against, I'm sorry, week four against Baltimore, Eli Rogers didn't play. Justin Hunter and Darius Hayward Bay combined for 16 offensive snaps. In week five against the Jaguars combined for nine offensive snaps. So in other words, they were really, they, they really didn't give Roethlisberger the options that he's used to having. Um, he, I mean, when Rogers was in, just in 2017, he averaged 32 snaps a game in weeks one through three. So even the game against the Bears where he fumbled in the first quarter, he still played receiver. He still played a lot. And so now they take his snaps off the field, and now they're trying to divvy them up between Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Martavis Bryant. I think having – and this is going to be the, the, the basic crux of the article tomorrow is having four legitimate receivers is going to change Roethlisberger and, and his options on the field. He's not going to have to just check down the Le'Veon Bell if numbers one and two reads aren't there. I think that Roethlisberger, to kind of come full circle back to the original talking point, I think that Ben Roethlisberger is still very capable. I think Ben Roethlisberger is going to break out. I think Ben Roethlisberger is going to play a really good game on Sunday. Does that mean they win? Well, we'll get to our predictions later in the show. But another article that I'm going to be writing, whether it's tomorrow or Friday, is that Ben Roethlisberger, in games that he has thrown two or more interceptions, the following week, he is 9-3. and three. Okay, the Steelers are nine and three, following two or more interceptions and since 2014. He's pretty good at coming back from games where he throws two or more picks. I'm just saying that. Okay, I'm not gonna. I, I, the criticism for Ben is justifiable, no doubt Absolutely. about it. But at the same time, I think he is still a very capable quarterback. I'm going to be running a poll tomorrow. Is Ben Roethlisberger still a top ten quarterback in the National Football League? I know what you're going to say. You're going to say no. Um, but I want to see what the Steelers fans think because there's de they're definitely torn. And there's some people that are already talking about trying to get a, a quarterback in the draft next year that could be a starter-capable guy. Um, some people are saying that he should just retire. Um, I'm not of that ilk. I, I think that the, the Steelers will benefit from having him, even if it is more of a John Elway at the twilight of his career where it's more handoff, throw when you have to, do what you do, but we're going to tailor it towards your skill set. That's personally what I think. So, um, I don't know, Lance, what do you think about that? I threw out some numbers there. Uh, talk about receiver. Man, I got through a lot of stuff there. What do you think? I, I, I think <laughs> Ben's a top 10 guy. I, I think Ben's a top 10 guy. And I, and, and I say that because I don't think there are, you know, there's barely 10 good quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, I still think he's better than Matthew Stafford's of the world. So, I, I, I think he's a top 10 guy. He's better than the Flacco, Matthew Stafford's of the world. I think he's a top 10 guy. I just think that the difference between the top two 
guys and the rest of the guys is so cavernous that all of those guys sort of kind of look alike. So you're just saying that the Jaguar game is an anomaly, that he's still the guy, but that the offense needs to be, you know, possibly the philosophy needs to be a little bit different. So with that being said, because we know it went bad in the Jaguar game. He threw five kicks. It was bad. Some of them got tipped. He was throwing some tight balls. It just got really bad. Everybody has those type of games. But yeah. let's fix this offense. Oof. Right. And, 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 I'll, and I'll start, Jeff. And we're going to go, we're, we're going to go with, we're going to get three things that can fix the offense. I'll give my three. If you agree, then we won't have six separate ones. But okay. let me give you my three things that can fix the offense. Sounds good. Two are, um, I just want to point out a number. The, the, the first one, the Steelers have to run the ball better on first down. Let me give you a couple of numbers. The Steelers have run the ball 56 times for 126 yards on first down. For 2.25 yards per carry, that ranks 31st in the National Football League. So when they run the ball on first down, they are essentially in second and eight. When you're in second and eight, it can be hard to convert third downs, which is why they are probably they're in the lower third of the league in converting third down. So that's one. Stay committed to running the ball on first down, but you've got to do it better. By contrast, the team that they just got beat by, the Jacksonville Jaguars, are averaging 4.61 yards per carry on first down, which is third in the National Football League. And it's incredible that that's third, that somebody has a higher number, which is ridiculous. So you can see right there, if you're in second and five as opposed to second and eight consistently, you convert third downs. And that's probably why the offense is still running through Ben Roethlisberger. Number two, to your point about Eli Rogers, more 10 personnel than 11 personnel. They're just not getting enough out of the tight end position. He doesn't trust McDonald. Uh, Grimble, none of those guys are giving him anything, and Jesse James is just a player. He's, he's just an average guy. I mean, hell, Mike Tomlin called those guys a JV position at the beginning of the year, and they're getting JV production out of it. Those guys just aren't adding enough in the passing game to warrant the amount of snaps. More Eli Rogers takes a tight end off the field, put an additional receiver. Eli Rogers have Bryant Juju A.B. and Eli Rogers on the field with Le'Veon Bell. And last but not least, the offense, the foundation of it has to be the running game. They cannot go through big stretches of getting away from the running game. There is no way in the world that when you're going up against the worst running defense in the National Football League that you throw 57 pass plays. If there are 57 pass plays and Le'Veon Bell runs the ball 15 times. So those are my three, Jeff. First, fix the first down running game, more 10 personnel, and making the running game a foundation of your offense. 
There's no better place to watch football with friends than Buffalo Wild Wings. They've got all the games on wall-to-wall TVs and a new $5 game day menu with 38-ounce pitchers of Bud Light, Coors Light, and Miller Light, cheeseburgers and brats, and select cocktails. And every Sunday, you can play an exclusive fantasy football game with DraftKings with prizes like free wings for a year. Get to Buffalo Wild Wings for our $5 game day deals. When football is on, you have to be here. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Price and participation vary. Subject to restrictions. Limited time only yeah um trying to think about add anything to that <laughs> to me the, the the whole offensive issue it, it it starts with play calling and trickles all the way down to execution um i i was on a another podcast earlier this week and they, they kind of asked me the same question and it's so hard to diagnose when they have so much talent on the football field uh you talk about first down rushing second and eight for this offense should not be a challenge. It really shouldn't. I mean, they have this, the talent all across the board. Um, I think that if Marcus Gilbert can come back, you'll see more 10 personnel because let's be honest, when Chris Hubbard was in there, what did they have to do him as every single time they had to cover him up and give him help. So you saw Vance McDonald over top of him, Jesse James. Sometimes they'd even put Juju Smith Schuster there. They were always having to give help on the right side. And when they weren't, he was getting beat badly. And next thing you know, Ben's getting rushed. He's getting hit. Throwing another pick, you know, you name it. I would like to see less predictable play calling. And the, the, what really frustrates me, Lance, and, and, and you might correct me if I'm wrong. You watch more film after the games than I do. There are times where I'm sorry, but it, it's incredible how good Todd Haley can be at times and just how mind-numbingly bad he can be at others. Um, he, you see him work in those nifty little shovel passes that are good for four, five, six. He runs them on thirds down, third downs a lot. Um, the play designs where they'll fake the reverse to kind of get the defense moving one way and they'll throw it. To, some really, really smart play calls. And sometimes it just, I don't know if they're RPOs, which is run-pass option for those that might not know, um, where Roethlisberger is checking out of things. Um I don't know. I agree with everything you said, by the way. Uh, they need to do a better job on first down and running the football sometimes on first down. And let's be honest, uh, against it's a week-by-week week thing. In week four against the, the Ravens, I was screaming for them to just throw the ball on first down just once. Every first down was a run. Um, but I think that ultimately what you said the last, I think your last bullet point was you have to stick with the run. That's what I agree with. You have to stick with the run, but be be smart about it. Use the run to set up the pass. I think that I, I've got to, coming into week five, there were two teams that were really close for the the least amount of play action passing in the NFL, and it was the Oakland Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's, that's to me, that's mind-boggling because the Steelers used to thrive off play action, uh, and they just aren't doing it as much. So this offense is an anomaly. We can talk about the Jaguars game if you want. I, I really just want to move on from that. Um, I think that this offense will eventually figure it out. I think that week four, you know, week four, I thought that the offense played, a, except for executing in the red zone, I thought they had a really good game. And the red zone issues, that's a whole different bag of, uh, can of worms. But I thought they were really close to figuring it out. You know, they ran the ball. Bell had 35 carries. I'd like to see them use more Connor to give a different look and give Bell a little bit of a break. They don't want to run his wheels off too early. Um, you know, all this stuff is going on. And I, I just really think that 
they just have to figure out their identity. Right now, they have no idea whether they're a running team, a passing team, a power team, a finesse team. And because of that, I think that you look at what the what the heck are they? They don't know. We don't know. They don't know. Todd Haley doesn't know. Mike Tomlin, he sure as hell doesn't know. Um, if you were to <laughs> give them, if you were to give them a an identity, okay, you, you go into that offensive meeting room, you say, guys, here's the deal. We are a blank team. What are you saying? We got to be a running team. And here's the beauty of the format is we have seamlessly talked about the Jaguar game because we've talked about the offense, <laughs> which is the big thing that was the problem in the Jaguar yeah. game. And to your point about the red zone, I mean, when you're running double moves from the two to That's the stupid. field side, you, you, you know, you know, when the DB has the end line and the sideline, so effectively Antonio Brown is being covered by three people. Yeah. And, you know, you look at some of the plays that they run against some of the coverages in the red zone, and they have no chance of working. That's how you can, that's how you can look at an offense and figure out whether it's a well-schemed offense. Look and see if the offense is getting guys open through play design, not by a guy just being bigger, stronger, faster. No, the play design gets a guy open, and then his natural athletic gifts then separate him from everybody else. Look at an Andy Reid offense. Look at a New England offense. Look at the play design in the red zone, how they are scheming guys open. And that's the beauty of it. When you can scheme an elite guy open, he becomes an absolute monster. You know, play design, giving A.B., Additional help makes A.B. absolutely unstoppable when it's just not him having to win based on his athleticism and just being a monster in and of himself. So watch the red zone. It, it, is, it, it, it seems poorly coordinated in that area of the field, but I put stats up and shared them on my message boards. Ben has struggled in the red zone his entire career. This isn't an anomaly to this year. This isn't a trend. This is a fact. He is, for the elite quarterbacks in the National Football League, he has struggled in the red zone his entire career. He's not going out there and operating in a red zone like an Aaron Rodgers, where when they get in the red zone, you're like, we're scoring a touchdown. When the Steelers get in the red zone, Steeler fans are like, oh. Uh, hope we score here, but yeah. I think we're going to kick a field goal. But on the defensive side of football in that Jag game, well, well hold, on, hold, on, just... hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. Let, let me talk about the red zone quickly. I want to I want to highlight two plays that I think really emphasize your point. And if in case listeners remember these plays, the double move that you talked about. Now, Lance, if you go back and watch that that play, and I apologize for interrupting you by the way. Um, if you go back and watch that play, watch Ben Roethlisberger's eyes. He does not look away from A.B. for a nanosecond, not even once. He never once looks right, goes left. He doesn't look in the middle. He doesn't try to move his nothing. He gets that football and stares at 84, and that play's not even close to open. I'm watching this play live in my basement saying, it's not going to work. 
I'm like, what's he doing? Why is he throwing it to a guy that's blanketed against the sideline? That's frustrating, and that's one of the problems that Ben Roethlisberger has at times. He stares down his receivers, even in the red zone. The second play, I want to say that might have been the same series, but I'm not sure. But Roethlisberger drops back. He's scanning his options. You can see him go from one, two, three in progression, and he flushes out to the right. And as he's rolling to the right, Martavis Bryant is somewhere along the goal line. And this is an issue with me, not only with Roethlisberger, but mainly Bryant. Ben throws it to the back corner, thinking Bryant's going to go there. Use his height, use his size, use his jumping ability. And for some reason, Bryant comes out of the end zone as like a comeback route. And that's when that football flies incomplete. And everyone's thinking, what? Where in the hell is he throwing it? That's not on Roethlisberger. He thought that that's how he's going to break off his route. He doesn't know what Bryant doesn't know what Ben's looking for. And Ben doesn't know where Bryant's going. With Antonio Brown, they know exactly what the other one's doing. If you put Antonio Brown in that same position that Martavis Bryant was in, roll Roethlisberger rolls right, Brown would know exactly where to go. He would have taken a step forward and then peeled back, and that's why he threw it to the back of the end zone. That's frustrating because here we are in week five, going into week six, and you have a starting quarterback just on Wednesdays, even though he's still there. I mean, I don't know what the heck he's doing. Um he doesn't seem like he's on point with all of his receivers and you can't just be on point with Antonio Brown. You can't defenses right. are going to say, we're going to bracket him. Hell we've seen the Ravens triple team him to take him out. Right. And, and what happens when that happens? And that's the doesn't know what why, to do. And that's the important reason why you've got to bring Rogers back. because He's a familiar target. If anything, you put another familiar wide receiver on a defensive side of football in that game. It's just more of the same. They have to be more assignment sound. Ryan Shazier, for as much as he gives you, he can take away from you in a running game. He's constantly getting caught in the incorrect run fits. And, you know, he, he's, he's really he, – he really reacts to misdirection. Um, and, you know, it's going to be tough in this game against Kansas City with all of the window dressing that they like to show prior to, to running plays with the jet sweeps and all that type of stuff, if he's going to be disciplined enough and sound enough in his assignments to be in the right place for his run fits. And both linebackers, him and Vince, aren't at times. But I think the more egregious one is Ryan Shazier. And you've got two young players in Bud Dupree and Watt on the edges that oftentimes lose contain and aren't doing their assignments, but they aren't getting beat physically, which is the, the saving grace in the matter where they're just getting beat one-on-one and physically they don't hold up and they're just getting gouged. This is attention to details. The concern is it's continuing to happen and they give up a ton of big plays in the running game, which is a run of 10 yards or more. They're going to have to correct that because they're going up against, arguably, right now, the best running back in the National Football League. And since I'm talking about the defense, we'll just jump into the KC breakdown, and I'll continue. I mean, if you want to stop KC, I mean, it's easy. You know, it's easy. The philosophy is easy. How to execute it and do it is difficult. But if you want to get to 4-2 and and stay in the hunt, you got to stop hunt. You have to stop Hunt. You have to stop the big plays of Hunt. You've got to stop all of that window dressing that they give you 
as well horizontally with the jet sweeps and that type of stuff when they when they put in Tariq Hill and they try to do that stuff with him. Also, you have to be really sound in special teams because, I mean, this is an offense and this is a team that gave up five touchdown passes. I think it was on a Monday night or a Sunday night game, and they still won by 10 points on the road. They are rolling. The other difficulty when you're talking about Kansas City is typically with Kelsey in the seams, but he may not be out. And they do have a player in Ryan Shazier who's one of the few linebackers that can actually match up with Travis Kelsey. But one difficult thing is, is when you play Kansas City is Alex Smith. His mobility to extend drives and extend series. And the other thing with Alex Smith is he doesn't turn the football over. So you're going to have to play sound defense. He is not going to make mistakes and give you the ball and make it easy on you. You know, I think part of this game, and, you know, I'm getting ready to throw it to you in terms of your offensive breakdown will be they're going to have to possess the football on Sunday. They're going to have to keep that Kansas City off, offense off the field by running the football and really controlling that clock and converting third downs. They cannot give that offense a ton of snaps because I think they'll hold up okay because I'm not really concerned about the vertical threats. You know, I think because of Tariq Hill's speed, you know, you may see some more cover two, you know, not as much cover one. Uh, you may see some more cover two to keep it in front of them. You're definitely going to see some dimes and two man. Uh, but, you know, they got to stop Hunt. And because they struggled in the running game, they're going to get it. They're going to get a heavy dose of it. And they're going to have to really be disciplined on their run fits, specifically with the cutbacks and the cutback stuff that they like to do and just all of that window dressing. I think it's going to be tough on them on the defensive side of football, and they're going to have to really lean on that offense to possess the ball and keep the ball out of Kansas City's hands. Yeah, um, you know, defensively, I honestly didn't think the run defense looked too bad. Um, the Jags are a great run team uh, until that ninety-yard run. I think if they, if you take away Fournette's ninety-yard run, and I understand that you're you're saying you take away a gigantic splash play, but if if you eliminate that run, which was kind of in garbage time, then I think that you you're looking at a different storyline. But it, you're right, Shazier. Correct me if I'm wrong. To me, he reminds me a lot of Palomalu. I think he's an intelligent player. Yes, very much I so. I think he, he definitely guesses at times, and he uses his keys and thinks, okay, that's going this way. And he's kind of that all-or-nothing guy. And when he's giving you that all, man, unstoppable. When he's giving you that nothing, you're getting absolutely that nothing. And so he's fun to watch. He's also extremely frustrating to watch. And I think he's going to be that matchup with Kareem Hunt. And, and Hunt is not... Fournette, I've always thought that the Steelers' defense, even back with LeBeau, struggle against those style of backs. Those big, downhill, that guy was punishing defenders. Fun to watch if you're a Jags fan. Um, but, man, uh, I, I think Kareem Hunt's a little bit more their style. He's he's going to be a slasher. He, they're going to run the stretch play. Everyone's going to run the stretch play against Pittsburgh. So we'll see. I like your keys there. Let's go to offense. Um, for me, with this offense, goodness, good luck. It's going to come down to running the football, 
not being predictable in your play calling and executing what the defense gives you. I actually think that Pittsburgh matches up well against the Chiefs, um, especially if Marcus Gilbert can play. I like the offensive line against their pass rush. They they're, should be familiar with them. They played them twice last year. They beat them soundly at home. Roethlisberger threw for four touchdowns in that game, and he went right after Marcus Peters, if you recall. Um, I don't think the secondary, although it's good, is not even close to what we saw last week in Jacksonville. Jacksonville's secondary was very fast, very well prepared. Jalen Ramsey is astonishing, great player. And he, but if you watch the All-22, Lance, I'm sure you did, Antonio Brown got him on more than one occasion. He kind of oh, taught yeah. that kid. He taught that kid a lesson, and I, I'm sure that afterwards Ramsey's saying that's the best of the best right there because he hasn't looked at the, he hasn't looked that bad all year. Ramsey hasn't, but. Uh, Antonio Brown made him look pretty bad. They, they weren't always completions. They, they weren't always thrown his way, but he made him look. He turned him inside out a couple times. Um, they're going to go against more. They're going to go up against Marcus Peters. I guarantee you, this is a game that the Steelers are going to come out and they're going to they're going to maybe look like they're going to run the ball a lot, but they're going to throw it. They're going to throw it. They, I think that's that's kind of what they want to do in this game, especially early is to soften that defense. The, the defense probably is expecting them to try to run. And so if they load the box, it, they're going to take their shots. And the, the thing is the shots have been there. They just haven't connected. You take away the, the first play from scrimmage for the Steelers on offense. And in last week's game where they connected with about, I think it was like 49 yarder to bet to Brown. Um, that's like the only big play they've, they've connected with. Uh, they typically play well against Kansas city. Uh, and even in the playoff game last year, they moved the ball with ease against that defense until they got in the red zone. That's going to be the ultimate key. You go back to Jacksonville, if they even score one touchdown instead of kicking three field goals, they go they one touch, game. one touchdown, two field goals, game over. I don't think there's a chance that the Jacksonville wins, but yeah. they kick three. It's going to come down to the red zone. That, that's, that's the ultimate thing with this offense. And again, if you have Eli Rogers in the game, and I expect him to be in the game he is a good red zone target. He knows how to work man coverage and zone coverages very well. Juju Smith-Schuster has become a very good red zone target. I would be totally fine with taking Martavis Bryant off the field in the red zone, having Juju, Eli, and Antonio Brown, kind of like a Smurfs edition, although Juju's a little bit taller than those guys, um, because Martavis Bryant's skill set is never utilized in the red zone. When was the last time you saw a jump ball at all or a fade route to Martavis Bryant? I mean, it's been a small sample size. I get that. But even when he was, before he was suspended, they never did that. Uh, I, they just don't like it. Maybe Roethlisberger isn't good at that throw. Maybe I, it, it's, it's a waste putting him on the field then. So put, put guys on the field that are actual threats. Those are my keys. You got to run the ball effectively, but be smart with when you do it. Um, utilize the screen game too to, to help complement the run in, in a way. And then also you have to make sure that you uh, take what the defense gives you. Just take the yards, take your shots. They're going to throw the ball. I expect Ben Roethlisberger to have a very good game in Kansas City. Um, say what you want. I just have a feeling that it, you, I've watched this guy for 14 years, just like everyone else. Most people that are listening to this podcast are, are in the same boat. And I just have a feeling that Ben Roethlisberger is going to break out. We've seen him play bad before, and we typically see him come back in a big way. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead, Lance. What you got your prediction. So give me your prediction, Jeff. It's you prediction know, time. Uh, I, 
one feature that, that all the NFL blogs on SB Nation do typically every week is we have five questions with the opposing editor. And so uh, my boss, who actually runs the Kansas City Chiefs website, sent me his. And at the very end was, what's your prediction for the game? And I said, you know, you can call me a homer. You can say I'm wearing black and gold glasses all you want. That's fine. But there's something about this Steelers team under Mike Tomlin. They always play well in a game where it's a big game. And, some, and typically as underdogs, they typically show up. They show up and show out in a big way. Um, I don't think they're gonna. I, I don't think they're gonna blow out the Chiefs or anything. That not an arrowhead at least. But I think the Steelers are gonna win this football game. I said final score twenty three twenty. I think there's a fourth quarter drive that ends in a Chris Boswell field goal that wins the game for the Steelers. Twenty three twenty Pittsburgh wins, and then it just turns Steeler Nation completely on their heads. You know, you they would be beating the only undefeated team left. Um, you would be moving to four and two. Uh, which would put them right in the thick of things for the AFC, and it would kind of reinsert them into the top talk of, you know, the top teams in the AFC and stuff of that nature. I think, and I'm probably in a huge minority right now, but I think the Steelers win this game because my gut tells me that they're not going to play this bad again. That's it. Period. So, Lance, what do you have for us? It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. I'm going to give you I think they lose the game but it's not as grim as you guys think listen I think they lose the game 24-20 but I think they play much better the game is much more competitive Ben plays a lot better they just lose a tough game to the best team in the National Football League on the road, which isn't a bad thing. But I think this loss will start them playing really consistent football moving forward. I don't think the division is in jeopardy. I think the only thing that's in jeopardy right now, if they lose this game, is the ability to get the one seed. And I'm saying this very early. But, you know, you don't want to lose another AFC game to a team that would be the number one seed at 6-0 and and be three games behind them, essentially. Uh, so, but I think they play well. They just come up short. But this buoys them for the rest of the season, and we see a much more consistent team moving forward. So I've well, got them losing 24-20. And I hope the Steelers fans listen to that and really get get what Lance is saying. Even with a loss, and it would be horrible, you know, back-to-back losses, and they'd be three and three, and and, and everyone would be down. There is there is an opportunity for a loss to be, uh, kind of like a catapult to to or a you know whatever you want to call it to get them to play better down the stretch. It can add some confidence. 
And let's be honest here. After losing two of those two of the first five games of the season, I think that your postseason goals slightly shift. You still want to win the division, which guarantees you a spot. It guarantees you at least a home game. But maybe I think for me, I just want that buy. If I'm the Steelers, you know the number one seed would be awesome because you would guarantee Heinz Field would be the host for any playoff game as long as you're in it until you get to the Super Bowl. But if even if you're the number two seed, you still have that week off. You then host the divisional round, and you never know what could happen in the divisional round. Let's say Kansas City ends up being the number one seed, and, and they can get knocked off at home, and next thing you know, you're hosting the AFC Championship game if you take care of business. There's still a lot of games left, folks. 11 football games remaining on the schedule. So much is going to change. And think back to last year. Everyone left this team for dead, and then they rattle off nine wins in a row. Anything can happen. The games get tougher, but typically the Steelers play well when the games get tougher and the game's on the line. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Lance, why don't you uh, give us a little sound off to go uh, as we go our separate ways for the week, and next time we talk, we'll be uh, recapping the Chiefs game. Well, my little sound bite is pertaining to the whole issue around the flag and just how we have to be very careful, uh, just for anybody, this is just my advice to anyone, is you have to pay very careful attention about controlling the narrative. And whether you agree with the players or you disagree with the players, the one thing that has been consistent that they have said is that this is not an anthem protest. It's not a protest of the flag. It's not a protest of the anthem. And it's not a protest of the military. One of the guys that initially stood with Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed, his mother served in the military, and her two brothers, his uncles, served in the military. The first thing he was saying was, I am not against my mother <laughs> or my uncles in the service that they have had for this country. So it's never been about that. But when you don't control your narrative, or you don't do a good job in controlling your narrative, it can spin out of control. And then now the players are being pit against quote-unquote American societal norms. And they will always lose that argument. So I, my advice to any of you guys out there, if you're passionate about something, whether it be you know, running a YouTube channel or doing anything, something political, whatever, try to control your narrative. Do everything you can to control the narrative. Because once you lose the control of the narrative and it spins out of control, you will be in retreat. And typically, whatever your message was initially will be lost. So we'll see what happens with it. I suspect that the NFL is not going to allow them to kneel moving forward after everything that I've heard. And largely, this is because the narrative has spun completely out of control. Yeah, that's good advice. It's good advice for anyone that starts up. But uh, typically, this is the point of the show where I talk about what's coming up on the website. Uh, every Thursday is our film room. Thursday, we have two film rooms coming up. One, talking about the rush defense that Lance alluded to earlier, facing Kareem Hunt on Sunday. The other one, talking about the offense and just how 
piss poor it was against the Jaguars. So check that out. I've got some really interesting stuff coming up, though, whether it's the snap count article I talked about earlier, uh, the poll about Ben Roethlisberger, is he still a top 10 quarterback? Um, right now, I just put a poll up about Tyler Eifert. He guys has season-ending back surgery. Uh, he's going to be a free agent next year. Do the Steelers, they need a tight end. Do they think about it? Well, we want to talk about it. We have a poll up there. You can vote and you can let us know. But understand that we want you to have BehindTheSteelCurtain.com as your only source for Steelers news. Uh, if it's out there, we've got it. And uh, it's going to be my, me, my staff, everybody. We've got podcasts. We have the videos now. If you're listening to this on podcast form, whether it's on the website or on, our, on your phone via iTunes, uh, check us out on YouTube. I, I wanted over 100 list of subscriptions where I think at 116 or something like that. So job well done. The next goal is 200. Let's see how long it takes us to get there. Go to YouTube. Just search the channel BTSC Steelers Radio and you'll find us there. Subscribe. You'll get notifications every time we do a, a, a show. You can watch it, comment. I try to do the best I can to get in the comment section. Man, those Jaguar fans are salty. Man, they, they, they've been lighting up my my shows that we do it, uh, but we've got some new shows like my matchup show on Fridays uh, or Saturdays. So check all that stuff out. We thank you for listening for Lance, um, AKA clubber Lang. Uh, we hope you have a good week. We hope the Steelers win and we'll see you next week on the standard is the standard. There's no better place to watch football with friends than Buffalo Wild Wings. They've got all the games on wall-to-wall TVs and a new $5 game day menu with 38-ounce pitchers of Bud Light, Coors Light, and Miller Light, cheeseburgers and brats, and select cocktails. And every Sunday, you can play an exclusive fantasy football game with DraftKings with prizes like free wings for a year. Get to Buffalo Wild Wings for our $5 game day deals. When football is on, you have to be here. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Price and participation vary, subject to restrictions, limited time only. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host podcasts every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.